11 months. <laughs> that was the last time that I got to stand here with somebody out there. And so I'm so glad that you are here. Um, my name's Kevin, and I serve on the staff um, and do some leadership development and some operations. One part of that operations is that I get to work with the team that oversees the finances and the budget and the giving, and what a great team it is. Um, I mention that because I just want to give you, before we get into the sermon, which I'm super excited about, um, I just want to give you a heads up that tomorrow, if you're part of Senior Pastor Updates, and if you're not, go online, um, efree.org, you can find it and sign up for that. Tomorrow, Adam's going to send out a short video where we take about 15 minutes to discuss kind of where the church is financially as we finish out what has been the weirdest year I've ever lived. And, and I, I want you to watch the video, but I'll give you um, the bottom line up front, which is that God has been incredibly faithful, and you all have practiced such exemplary stewardship. And so even though giving is down, it's down in proportion to where our expenses are, and, um, and we just want to celebrate with God for how he provides. I do want to tell you that it's always a little bit tight this time of year, or it's a little bit nervous because December historically accounts for about two times as much as any other month. And so um, we don't want to take 15 or 20 minutes to talk about it here, but you're going to get the video. The videos are really just an effort to keep you connected. Now, one of the ways that we keep the staff connected is that we get together twice a week on Tuesday mornings and Thursday mornings. And, of course, we're doing it with a Zoom-like call right now, but we, we call those our staff connect times. And for half an hour at 8 o'clock on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, we go through as a staff four questions. And the first question is, what is God teaching you? And that's a time when when different members of the staff can share, hey, you know, I was doing my Bible study this morning, or I was having my quiet time, or over the last week we've been thinking about this, and, and really share how God is speaking into each of our lives. It's really great. The second question is, what have you seen somebody else on staff do that's worthy of um, praise or celebration? And so, we, we take some time and we just, we celebrate the good work that each of the members of the staff is doing. The third question is, what have you got going on today? And usually it's something to do with ministry. Sometimes it's something personal. Um, but often it's something to do with ministry and, and more often than not, it's helpful to learn what the other staff are doing just to keep us connected. And then finally, the fourth question is, how can we pray for you today and we close our meeting praying specifically for the needs of the members of our staff. As you can imagine, it is one of the best times that we have during the week. Well, a couple meetings ago, I answered the first question, what is God teaching you? By confessing that I've been studying Colossians 3, 16, and 17 um, in preparation for this morning, and that I was finding it much more difficult to prepare a message on two verses than on an entire chapter of the Bible. Now, it's more difficult, for me at least, because you really have to dig into what is God saying in those two verses? What is the purpose that they're there to accomplish? 
It's more difficult because I never studied Greek. And so I can't spend the message time giving you insights into the nuances of the original language. That wouldn't be me. Um, it's more difficult because the Bible study helps and the preaching aids are proportionately smaller for two verses than they would be you could find for a whole chapter of the Bible. And so, I have wrestled with this message more than probably any other talk that I've done. And as I've wrestled with it, I've gotten more and more excited about what God wants to say to us in this time. But first, I need to tell you about one of my most embarrassing moments. I was traveling through Europe about 12 years ago when I made a complete fool of myself. Um, I was traveling as a representative of my company, Sigma Aldrich. I worked for them at the time, and I was visiting some of our largest customers throughout France and England and Spain and Germany, um, including BASF. And BASF is the single largest chemical producer in the world, and they have a massive campus. Um, and when I say massive, I mean 2,500 acres, which is roughly twice the size, this is their headquarters, is on a campus twice the size of Forest Park. And we met in one of the hundreds of buildings that are on that campus, and, and we had a great meeting. You know, it was, it was going really well. I was um, learning from the customers about what was working and what they thought needed to be addressed. And toward the end of the meeting, my host said, would you be interested in seeing the laboratories and the storage room where we keep and use the chemicals that we buy from you? And I said, absolutely. I, I was curious about which other competitors' chemicals they had next to ours. But... Um, I said, sure, I, I would love that. And so she directed me to the door that led to that area. Now, it was a very narrow door. And our group was about seven or eight people. And so I was the first one through the door. And that is all of the excuse that I'm going to offer for what happened next. I stepped through the door and because I knew there were other people coming behind me, I moved to my right in order to get out of their way. And I wondered, what is that thing that my shoulder is hitting? It was the, the lever on the chemical safety shower. <laughs> which I realized as 50 gallons of cold water dumped on my head. My, my host screamed in German. I don't know a lot of German, but I could figure out what she was saying. And, and I stood there with water dripping off the bottoms of the frames of my glasses. And so for the next, for the next 15 minutes, we, we got as dry as we could get with a roll of those brown industrial paper towels, which are not very absorbent. And, and as we... As we finished up there and we moved on with the tour, I still remember the sound of my wet socks inside of my wet shoes just going squish, squish, squish. 
See, I was there as a representative of Sigma Aldrich, but I'm sure that it wasn't the type of representative that they had in mind when they bought me the plane ticket. This morning we're going to talk about being representatives of Jesus Christ and how we do that effectively. So before we start, let me pray. God, thank you for the richness of your word. Thank you for your love for us and the work that your word and your love do in our lives. And God, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding as we study together this morning. And that we can become the representatives of you in everything that we do. In your name, amen. Now, this is our scripture this morning. And I know it doesn't look very high-tech, but actually it is. You see, we've tried to use whiteboards in the past, and depending on where you sat in the room, it was very difficult to see what was up here. But now we have new cameras and new projectors and new screens, and so I can use the whiteboard and you can see from anywhere in the room or even online, which is amazing. It's fantastic because I love whiteboards. Some people else, who else loves whiteboards? Yeah, okay, yeah, you know, right? Don and I are kindred spirits. Um, but in fact, when I, when I first started on staff two years ago, uh, the first purchase that I made was a large whiteboard to fill one wall of my office. I honestly don't understand offices that don't have whiteboards. Um, and and my, my view of heaven is streets of gold and walls of dry erase boards. And, and miraculously, pens that shall never run dry. And so this morning, I, I'm a visual thinker and a visual learner, and so I, I want to teach with the whiteboard. And I'm so glad that now we've got a way that that can work. Um, this is our passage. It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing praise and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, as we look at this, one of the first things that I like to do is just step back and say, what do you notice? I said that in the first service, and in between services, I got a text from my friend Martin Trong, and he said, you know what I noticed? You misspelled representative. I fixed it. It turns out, as great as whiteboards are, they still haven't perfected spell check. But actually, representative is one of the first words that I noticed as I started looking at this passage. And it is obviously the reason that I remembered my disastrous representation of Sigma Aldrich in Germany, right? But it also got me thinking about how are we doing? What does that look like to be a representative of the Lord Jesus? How are we doing? How am I doing? We're going to talk about that. The second thing that, that caught my attention was that if you, if you write it up this way and then you draw a line kind of there, it starts to look like a math problem. Right? That there's something about letting 
the message of Christ in all of its fullness and all of its richness fill our lives. And there's something about teaching and counseling each other with wisdom that comes from God. There's something about singing to God with thankful hearts that adds up to being representatives of the Lord Jesus in everything that we do and say. It was the and whatever that really kind of pointed out to me that this section sums up what's come before. And then the third thing that I noticed is the similarity in the nouns of the first three verses, of the first three sentences in verse 16. Right? So there is the message about Christ. And we'll just grab that one. So there's the message about Christ, there is the wisdom that he gives. And there are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we'll come down here and get songs too. Okay. And what I noticed is that those three phrases are all different representatives of the same idea. That somehow, either directly or indirectly, God is giving us insights and understanding about spiritual truths. Now, the first two are pretty obvious, right? There's a message about Christ. Paul's teaching us the message about Christ. There's wisdom he gives. It's pretty straightforward where that comes from. I want to tell you that it was 3.30 in the morning on one of the mornings that I was studying deeply on this, and so I woke up at 3.30, and I realized that psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are just another form of insight and understanding about God that the authors of those songs and hymns and those psalms, the authors have put that into a way that we can, we can remember it and sing it. But it's similar to the wisdom that he gives in the message about Christ. So this morning, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into each of these three. And we'll spend, I'll tell you, most of our time on this second one about teaching and counseling. And, and, and I hope that it will lead us to some understanding about how to be better representatives of Jesus. So let's start with that first one. I got a lot going on here. I got the quotes that I'm going to read here. I've got some notes. I've got markers. So at some point, something is going to fall on the floor. And you're just going to have grace with me, and it's going to be okay. Um, thank you. Who clapped? I love you guys. Do you know nobody clapped in the first service? <laughs> Empty rooms stink. They really do. I'm so glad you're here. Okay. So, somebody taught me a long time ago that the one way to look at Scripture and to really study it is to look at it in ever-widening circles of context. Ever-widening circles of context. So the smallest context is what's immediately around it. And so when we look at let this message in Christ, of Christ fill your lives, what's around it we've already kind of looked at. The second circle of context is what's in the book that, that you're reading, the book of the Bible, that relates to that. And then the widest context is what's in the entirety of Scripture that relates to that. And so if, if we expand our lens just a little bit and we look at 
what is in the rest of the book of Colossians related to the message about Christ and all of its richness, then it draws at least my attention to chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Where Paul is describing Christ, and he does it in a really rich way. And so I'm going to read that for you. And what I want to invite you to do is just close your eyes and listen carefully to this passage and for the richness about the message of Christ. Ready? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's the message about Christ in such richness and fullness. There's so much there, and we could, we could actually just do a little trick here. Instead of studying those two verses, we could just jump over and study all of the places where Paul has talked about the message of Christ in such rich ways. But rather than do that this morning, I want to actually set a project for you or encourage an application of this first sentence in verse 16. And that is, I want to challenge you to go through Paul's letters and take a highlighter, maybe a gold one for richness, and just mark those passages in each of his letters where Paul is talking specifically about Christ. And, and work through that. Because Paul has so many passages about Jesus that just soar. They absolutely soar. If you do that, you're going to run into... Ephesians 2, where Paul says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. As you're doing that, you're going to run into a familiar passage in Philippians 2 that starts, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then goes on to describe Jesus' humility in being made a man and dying on a cross. You're going to find things in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians. And I just want to tell you, just keep going. Marking those passages where Paul is describing the message of Christ in such richness. And when you've marked those passages, read them and study them. Meditate on them. Memorize them. Let the richness of that message about Christ fill your lives.
Here's a pro tip. I use the, oh, my phone is someplace else. I use the, the, um, the Bible app, the um, version app of the Bible, and it lets you choose different colors for highlighting. And then, if you've used a color like gold and highlighted a bunch of passages, the app will let you see all of the passages that you've highlighted in a specific color. And so if you do this exercise and you go through Paul's letters and you mark the message about Christ in all of its richness, then you can have in one place a list of all of those passages. And here's what I believe. The more we dwell on that message about Christ in all of its richness, the more it can't help but come out in everything we say and do. And we'll end up being better representatives of Christ. So we're going to move on, but let me just make one last part of that invitation, and that is, if you do this, let me know. Because I would love to compare notes about how the message of Christ is affecting the way that we see the world and represent him in it. Okay, second section. Here we go. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Now, if we widen our circle of context to the entire book of Colossians, then we're going to see that this is actually step three in a three-step teaching that Paul is making on the wisdom that God gives. And it looks something like this. Step one, he prays. And that is verse nine of chapter one. Let me read it for you. Paul says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would do to our ability to represent Jesus if we had complete knowledge of God's will? And if we were filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so that's what Paul says. I'm praying that for you, Corinthians. Nope. Yep. Colossians. He prayed that for the Corinthians too. It's okay. I'm praying that for you, Colossians. But he's also praying it for us. That's why this letter was preserved through God's spirit. So that we could read it and understand that we should pray for wisdom. James makes it clear in his letter, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and he'll give it to you. The second step in this teaching about wisdom is that he models it. And that's chapter 1, verse 28. And 128 says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. It's the same phrase. It's the same source of wisdom. Paul is telling them that what he's teaching them, what he's writing in this letter, what he says when he's there with them, is just sharing the wisdom that God gives him. And then... Step three, he tells us to do it. 
He instructs. He says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom God gives. I think it looks like this. You've got God who gives you wisdom, right? And he also gives me wisdom. And then we have this instruction to teach and counsel. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that God gives. So here's the question. How does that make you feel? That Paul is specifically saying, you guys should counsel each other with the wisdom that God gives you. Um, In the U.S. last year, Americans spent $20 billion dollars on counseling and therapy. And so it got me thinking about how does what Americans are spending $20 billion on counseling and therapy, how does that professional therapy compare with what Paul's telling Christians to do when he instructs us to counsel each other with the wisdom that God gives? And, and I drew a picture like this. One circle representing professional counseling. The other circle representing wisdom from God. Sometimes I write the letters in different order. It's okay. And you see that it creates three different sections. So the first section is counselors who are professional counselors and who are counseling without the wisdom that comes from God. The second section is counselors who are professionals and who are counseling with the wisdom that God gives. And the third is all of these Christians who are counseling each other with the wisdom that God gives, even though we're not professional counselors. And as I went through this with with my wife, she said, you might want to point out that just putting Christian in front of counselor doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're counseling with the wisdom God gives. Um, David Paulison, who is the late president of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, or CCEF, says in his book, Seeing with New Eyes, that he compares this first group with this third group. He says this, he says, the most experienced psychologist or observer of human nature knows infinitely less of the human heart than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Jesus. The most experienced psychologist knows infinitely less than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Jesus. Now, why can he say that? I think that he can say that because if you're counseling without the wisdom that comes from God, 
You're counseling without the wisdom that the person being counseled and the person doing the counseling are both created in God's image and loved by him. You're counseling without the wisdom that the person being counseled and the person doing the counseling are both affected deeply by the fallenness of man and sin. Without the wisdom to know that the person being counseled is affected by their own sins and by the sins of the people around them. I think you're counseling without the wisdom to recognize that the only true solution to the problem of sin is the redemption that Jesus Christ provides on the cross. And without the wisdom that comes from God, you're counseling without the wisdom that the best life the person being counseled can live is a life that is most aligned with God's message in all of its richness. Now, during this series, Adam has referred to this with a highway analogy, the book of Colossians. Do you remember what it is? That's it. It's a rumble strip book. It's a rumble strip letter. And, and that refers to those bumps on the side of the highway that rattle your car as you're, as you're drifting off the path. And he compares that with a guardrail where the rumble strip is gentle and an early warning and the guardrail is forceful and violent and a last resort. So what I want to do is look at a similar passage in one of Paul's guardrail letters, okay? In, in 1 Corinthians, there's the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul addresses a problem that's actively happening in the Corinthian church. Church members are taking each other to court, and they're, they're looking to secular judges, non-Christian judges, to solve their problems. And so Paul doesn't choose to give them a rumble strip answer to this issue. He goes full guardrail. Here's, here's what he says. In 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, verses 4, and six, 4 to 6, why do you take everyday complaints to judges who are not respected by the church? I say this to your shame. Aren't any of you wise enough to act as a judge between one follower and another? Why should one of you take another to be tried by unbelievers? Now, I don't think it's much of a stretch to actually replace judges with counselors in that passage and at least start to get a sense of what Paul's guardrail version of teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom God gives might look like. My favorite book on this topic is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. The, the subtitle of that book is People in Need of Help. Actually, it's People in Need of Change Helping People in Need of Change. And right up front, Paul David Tripp addresses, addresses the idea of being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. He says, an instrument is a tool that is actively used to change something. 
And God has called all of his people to be instruments of change in his redemptive hands. You and I are called to be instruments in God's hands for the purposes that he wants to work in the lives of others. So first, there are three steps. There are, there are three ways to get better at this. The first is we need to recognize the need. A little bit later in Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, Tripp says, the church is full of people who have lost their way and don't even know it. Who haven't made a connection between their daily problems and the transforming grace of Christ. Everywhere you look, you will find couples who are struggling to love, parents who are struggling to be patient, children who are attracted to temptation, and friends who battle the disappointments of imperfect relationships. This is 100% of the church's membership. Now, I don't know what church Paul David Tripp was going to when he wrote that, but I can tell you after two years on staff and almost 20 years as a member that that's true of First Free Church. That we are a congregation made up of people in need of change. And a congregation of people called to help those people in need of change. Second, we need to be intentional about relationships and I like to throw in groups. Because relationships are where this counseling and teaching naturally take place. They really can't take place anywhere else, at least not effectively. And groups, small groups and mid-sized groups, are the way that we at First Free Church have focused on doing that. It's why we're almost obsessive about encouraging our, our church to be involved in small and mid-sized groups. In fact, in, in our vision for the group's ministry, we say it this way. We say our group's platform facilitates deep relationships yet is easy to join. Remember, this is vision. This is what we're working toward. This is what we desire. They're very flexible in style and season of life. Small and mid-sized groups provide community, spiritual growth, care, and much of our service opportunities. Our group's ministries provide pathways for deep spiritual growth and training. Now, don't miss that last sentence. They provide opportunities for deep spiritual growth and training. And they do so as the members of the group risk and step into teaching and counseling each other with the wisdom that God provides. Number three. We need to build our skills. A few people in our church, and I actually see some of them out there, are trained professional counselors who, in their profession, 
are counseling with the wisdom that God gives. They've trained over years, some of them decades, in order to be really effective at, at counseling others. And we as a church should be really appreciative that they're here. Let's remember, though, that Paul's instruction to counsel each other doesn't necessarily make us good at it. In fact, if we don't build our knowledge and our skills in this area, we can actually hurt the people that we're trying to help. We need to face the fact that we're not trained counselors. And for many of us, the idea of helping each other with problems is a little bit strange and scary. And so let me say this really clearly. If you have questions about whether you should step into an issue with somebody, or you're wondering what the right time is to refer somebody in your group to a professional Christian counselor, um, you can always ask. John Richardson is the executive pastor of discipleship here. He's also a trained counselor, and he's also in charge of our group's ministry. He's at the nexus of this stuff, and he's a wonderful resource to talk through with you about when the right time is to refer somebody to a professional counselor. And he's also the right person to talk to about which professional counselors he might refer to, depending on what's going on. So recognize that we, I'm not asking you to get in over your head. I want you to be appropriately cautious. But at the same time, even though we're appropriately cautious, it leaves a whole range of areas where we, with the wisdom that God gives, can counsel and teach each other. So, how do you get better at it? You practice, practice, practice. One of my favorite books on coaching, which is kind of a lay term for teaching and counseling each other um, is by Linda Miller and Chad Hall and it, the book is called Coaching for Christian Leaders and in Coaching for Christian Leaders um, Miller and Hall draw a, a pie chart it's Thanksgiving week we should have pie it's a pie chart of the eight skills that are most helpful in doing this well and let me just show you what that pie chart looks like. That pie chart looks like that. This is not one of those miraculous heavenly pens. There we go. There's the eight things proportional with how important they are to success at helping others. So you notice there are two things that make up 50% of what you're doing to help others. And then the other six get really short mention. So what are those two top things that are skills that help you? The first is effective listening. And the second is asking precise questions. Listening and asking precise questions. 
If you get good at those two skills, you're going to be much more effective at helping people that are in need of change. And one of my favorite precise questions to ask is what is God telling you about this? What is God telling you about this? I like that question because it assumes a couple of things. It assumes that God is actively giving us wisdom for the areas in our lives where we have questions. And it assumes that the person who's being counseled is seeking that wisdom. What is God telling you about this? Now, I'm only drawing those two pieces of the pie this morning. If you're interested in the rest of the pie chart, just shoot me an email this week and I will send you a picture of it. Um, my email address is kevin at efree.org. That was as easy as we could make it. I said I was a visual thinker. And so one of the pictures that I have in my mind when I think about this helping relationship has to do with the positioning of the person seeking help and the person offering help. Now, traditionally, we think of it this way. The person seeking help comes up with a problem, sets the problem on the table. The person giving help is over on the other side of the table with the problem between them. And at some point, the person giving help says, hey, why don't you try this? And the person seeking help says, okay, and goes away. That's kind of the traditional picture of helping. But I think about it a little bit different. C.S. Lewis said someplace that um, what we see and what we hear depends an awful lot on where we stand. And I think that's true here. I like to vision the person seeking help and the person offering help coming around to the same side of the table with the problem in front of both of them. From this perspective, they can look at it together. They can, they can look for what God is telling them about this issue. And they can explore options and opportunities for ways forward. Because they're side by side. God is calling us to come alongside people in need of help. He's, he's very clear about it. Let's, um, let's talk briefly about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. You know who was really good at this? Mary Ann Keekler. Our church lost a great member a little bit earlier this month when Marianne finished 91 years of her journey on earth and was taken home to spend eternity with Jesus. And for me, and I know for a lot of you, there's a Marianne-shaped hole just kind of right over here in the auditorium. Um, Pam, my wife, often leads worship from up here, and she several times came home and said, Marianne, when she worships, is such a blessing. I remember her saying one time, I know I'm up front and I'm supposed to be the one leading worship, but as I watch Marianne, she's leading me in worship. 
Mary Ann was a great example of singing to God with thankful hearts. And as we sing together or worship together, I know it's COVID, it's weird, but as we gather together and worship with these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, incidentally, not the hymns, Paul's not talking about the hymns that Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley would write 1,800 years later. He's talking about any version of corporately coming together and celebrating the message about Christ. And when we do that, corporately, it's filling our lives. I want to show you one more thing. One last thing that I noticed as we looked at this passage. And that is the ever-widening circles of impact and transformation that are represented here. Look at it. If we let the message about Christ dwell in us and fill our lives, that's going to transform our lives. Right? If we begin to teach and counsel each other in the wisdom that God's giving us, that's going to transform our groups. If we can use our thankful hearts to sing praises to God, that's going to transform our church. And finally, as we do all of that and we become better representatives of the Lord Jesus, God's going to use you and me to transform our world. God wants to use us to accomplish his purpose in the lives of the people around us. Okay, next week, next week, Adam is going to start in on that next section from Paul's letter where Paul starts giving instructions for how to live as a Christian. And it's stuff like wives submit and husbands love and children obey and fathers don't exasperate your children, which is a tough one for me. But I want us to remember that Paul's not writing that to mere mortals. Paul's writing that to a church that is being filled with the message about Christ. And Paul's writing that to a church that's using the wisdom that God gives to counsel each other. And Paul's writing that to a congregation that is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with a thankful heart. There's no way that we can do what Paul recommends in our own power. Just keep that in mind as we move forward. Let's pray. Dear God, give us the wisdom that we need in order to teach and counsel those that you place in our lives. Give us the humility to receive wisdom from our brothers and our sisters. And God, form us into the representatives of you that will transform our world. God, as we let you fill our lives with your message and all of its richness, may it produce a deep thankfulness in our hearts for all that you have done and all that you are doing. In your precious name, amen.